Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. Okay, I'm so happy to have Katie Williams and Catherine Rosakis on here today with me. They are the co-founders and co-hosts of the 411K, and we're going to talk all about money, which listeners might know I love to talk about um, because I think it's really important that we're always having those conversations. So thank you guys both so much for coming on here. Um, and I know with two people, it can be a little complicated. So Katie, for, I just want to hear both of your voices. So thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, Katie, will you just say hi first? And then Catherine, you can say hi after. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, Alessandra. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thank you guys for coming on here. Um, I want to just start off by hearing about, tell us what the 411k is. Tell us where it came from and what you're all about. So, okay. So we started our podcast um, almost two years ago. Katie and I met as management consultants in a big four firm. I'm still there. Katie's left to become a client. And we were frustrated with the gender pay gap and some of the barriers that we face, that women systemically face in the workplace and out in society when it comes to earning money, negotiating salary, investing, and building wealth. And we realized that by not talking about these topics, it's costing women a lot more money over their lifetimes, which is also frustrating because we live longer. So Mm -hmm. we started the 411k because we realized that we needed to start having these conversations about money with our peers and people that we respect and can learn from. And we were hoping that our conversations would be considered helpful to others who might be listening in. And um, uh, almost two years later, we have more than 50 episodes recorded. We have a book club. We have been engaged in a variety of speaking engagements in professional women's networks and in on uh, university campuses um, with their various professional women network and business student groups as well. And so we really, our, our mission is to take the fear and shame out of talking about money and make it an approachable and not scary topic for women. I love that. That's amazing. So um, anything else to add, by the way, Katie? I guess, I mean, that's kind of the background there, right? Yeah, I think Catherine really grabbed our story. Like, there's so many different things that uh, professional women are facing right now. And a lot of it we can't control. So I think our podcast and a lot of the conversations we have are, what are the day-to-day things that you do have control over when it comes to your financial wellness? Yeah. And why is it so hard to talk about and for people to grasp? Like, do you guys have any insight on that? Like, why is money so tricky? It's so interesting, right? Because yeah, (laughs) this is going to go great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So as far as like, like I went to school in undergrad, I have a finance degree and Catherine and I, you know, when we were working as consultants, we were, you know, 
helping these large financial financial institutions and clearly working full time in the finance industry and yet you still that doesn't mean that you're personally doing well in your finances so you can have all this education and it's still not applicable to your day-to-day -day life and so i feel like finance can just be really confusing like there's so many terms like 401k ira like negotiating your benefits like there's a lot to that's that you need to understand and it seems overwhelming and so i think it's great when you have people like talking normally about money the same way you would talk to your girlfriends about you know relationship relationship advice we want you to be able to talk to your friends family sister and you know girlfriends over brunch about hey like what are you investing in or what um how have you negotiated this year like what does your rent look like and stuff like that so making yeah. money more approachable and having it be something that's not so scary or shameful to talk about i think is really important there Catherine, yeah. do you have anything you'd want to add there yeah i mean i think the other piece is that you know money is something that we we learn from a very young age, whether we realize it or not, we're learning a lot of subconscious and unconscious cues about money from our family, from our upbringing, from our friends. And we internalize a lot of those messages and lessons. And, you know, Katie talks very rightly about the, the, um, the barriers that face us as adults. But if you kind of add up the, the psychology, like the psychological impacts of what you've learned about money in small little lessons in aggregate over your lifetime, there's a lot of research out there that money makes people feel scared and ashamed. And to Katie's point, even when they're otherwise successful and accomplished in life, feeling like a failure because of the lack of transparency in financial literacy education from a young age, um, as well as just understanding how to manage your money uh, in a sound way as an adult. So it, there is so much to unpack there um, and it really touches absolutely every topic. It touches yeah. uh, relationships, it touches birthright, it touches family interactions, it touches your partnerships, it touches your friendships and even the people you choose to spend time with and how you educate yourself and how you pay for that. So it just, it touches every topic of your life, but it's always kind of seen as a taboo and something people are afraid to talk about. Yeah. So obviously you guys are, you guys are dealing with that through the podcast. Like you're helping make it something that people can talk about. Are there any other like tips or things that you think we should be doing in order to make these conversations something that people are something that we're comfortable having or just to make money be something we're talking about more? So we recently, you know, we're talking together, just Catherine and I, about, all right, we've done these 50 plus episodes with experts in career development and in personal finance. What are like the big takeaways? And we kind of broke it down into five major things that we think are really helpful. And one of them is, you know, negotiate and negotiate everything like negotiate both your costs down and also negotiate your salary or benefits up so you want more money coming in and you also want less money going out 
And part of that is also being intentional with what is coming in. And that would probably be like our second lesson. Um, Catherine, do you want to go through a couple of the other ones? Uh, the Yes, yeah, so the next one is debt repayment. Um, we talk a lot about making sure that your debt is not defining you and drowning you. Um, and I know there's probably listeners out there who feel like, you know, I'm just totally drowning in my student loan debt, but, um, or other, other tricky, tricky debts that we just accumulate over our lifetime again of maybe some of it is we've had to do it in order to get educated. And some of it is just kind of been not as mindful in our spending, depending on what that debt type is. But really getting strategies in place for paying down the debt as much and as quickly as you can because it's really hard to build to build wealth when you're carrying the baggage and a heavy backpack of debt weighing you down mm-hmm. yeah so Katie, you want to take our fourth one <laughs> yeah and then i think the other two that we you know really think summarize what all of the experts have said is like focusing on future you through your retirement and figuring out what you want retirement to look like. We get tons of questions about how much should I have for retirement or when do people typically retire? And like, there is no right answer. It totally depends on what you think retirement really looks like for you, right? Like we've had some experts that we've talked to who their entire goal is to retire in their (laughs) thirties. And that's not, necessarily realistic or for everybody Um, and therefore you have to figure out okay so what does retirement look like for me am I planning to live on a yacht and really have a bougie retirement if so I need to be planning for that right now Um, and then the fifth one which I think is probably Catherine I's favorite because it's something that you really can take with you every day is not keeping up with the Joneses and really living below your means. I think that's the hardest one just because we are constantly bombarded with messages to spend and to spend to keep up with what styles are in fashion, to keep up with what our peers' lifestyle is like. Um, And we like to ask our... um, listeners and our followers on social media all the time like what is it that what is what's a purchase that you know makes you think somebody's rich is that also true to what makes you feel rich or wealthy because if those are different then you shouldn't just be buying something because you you think it looks a certain way yeah oh my gosh those are all like those are all such important topics (laughs) I feel like we could talk about all day long, (laughs) but I feel like, oh, I mean, I don't even know where to go. That's so, I feel like I want to ask you things about all those different topics. We can break them all down. We got time. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I guess like from a larger standpoint too, like, um, oh my God, what was I just going to (laughs) say? It's Friday. It's fine. (laughs) Um, I think I was going to say, um, like from a larger standpoint, like those are all such important topics and it's, it's almost more so about getting people to actually think about them and talk about them with each other and feel like they can ask the questions and, 
and know what to even be asking, right? Or what to even be thinking about when it comes to all of those things, when it comes to debt or investing or retirement and all of those things. And that's almost like the hardest part, right? Is like, I feel like so much of the time we're like, I don't even know what to ask or I don't even know what I should be like planning for or or trying to figure out. So, I mean, I was just, I just think the fact that you guys are even doing the podcast to, to have those conversations and help people talk about it and, and hear what other people have to say, I think is awesome. Definitely. And, you know, we see that a lot in twofold ways where on the one hand, you know, it, it's only up to you to figure out what your values are and what your goals are and making sure that you actually reflect on those things. But on the other hand, you know, we've had plenty of experts come in and say that when they started focusing on their money and having those conversations with their friends where they have to say, hey, I can't spend, you know, over X amount on the bachelorette party because I'm trying to save for this. You know, they openly talk about how sometimes they lost friends as soon as they stopped being big spenders. And I think it's interesting when you start talking about where your money is going and what your goals are, you might have friends who that inspires them and now they feel comfortable talking about their goals and where their, you know, priorities are. And you might have some friends that are like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. It only works if you spend on what I want. And um, I think that's been a really interesting piece of what we've seen out of some of the, the lived experiences we've heard from our guests. Would you say so, Catherine? Yeah, I would say, I mean, first off, the themes just keep repeating themselves. And it's really funny, Alessandra, a lot of our guests tend to be people who are financial experts, but they have their own story of having really fallen down in their personal financial journey at some point and they've responded to that adversity adversity and learned from it and not only picked themselves up by following some sort of principles or method or whatever it might be or mindset to to reclaim their wealth but they also i think are on a mission to inspire others and I, I do think Katie is absolutely right. Sometimes, uh, actually, a lot of those same guests have said, friends. a lot of friends are really friends with you when you're spending money. It's the ones that you um, don't have to spend money with where your friendships are really um, stronger and based on something more than just, just spending. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it's, it's like, sounds terrible to hear you say but like it makes sense like money is such a big part of what we're doing day to day and I mean I feel like we've all had that experience where when bachelorette parties and weddings start to become such a big part of your life like when you said that Katie I was like yep I like that's always a conversation or like you know a behind the scenes like fight going on I think between like you know some of the friends of like I can't spend that or I don't want to spend that or that's unreasonable or whatever. And that's like when we start to see that starting to happen, I think. And like when that separation might happen between like friends and figuring out where the spending makes sense or, or if that's going to be something that's going to get in the way of the friendship. Yeah. And it's yeah, actually and I funny you say that. Um, I, 
I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday um, and she was talking about how she was, you know, assuming one of her friends couldn't afford something that we were doing all together. And she was like, yeah, I'm trying to be conscious because, you know, I know she's worried about money. So I'm trying to just keep everything like low cost. But then she was saying she was surprised because the friend who's supposedly worried about money kept overspending, like spending more than everyone else in the group. And I was like, on the one hand, it's we shouldn't be making assumptions because you never know what someone's background is and like somebody who could be spending could also be severely in debt, but that's kind of up to them. But at the same time, like you can't be, I think that's really what I was trying to say is you can't just assume what someone's situation is just because someone wants to buy off the sale rack. Doesn't mean that they're not doing financially well, or just because somebody is doing uh, or is spending a lot. Doesn't mean they're also doing financially well, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and Katie, wouldn't wouldn't you add? I, I mean, this is like when I hear that, I I'm hearing keeping up. It could be a keeping up with the Joneses situation too, where that friend might actually be feeling that people are excluding her financially in some way because they're making assumptions. So she wants to prove that she can keep up with the spending. So actually, everybody would benefit from a really honest and open conversation around. Right. What's your budget for this event? What's your what would you what would seem reasonable to you? We want to be mindful of people being in different places financially. Um, and it doesn't need to be something that people should be ashamed about. I think it's super exciting and empowering to tell your friends, I don't want to go to Vegas for your bachelorette because I'm saving for a home that I want to raise my family in someday. Right? And if it's a friend who would be willing to lose a friendship over it, then you definitely shouldn't be going to Vegas or, you know, whatever yeah. that expensive trip will be. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. No, that's just what I was going to say is that's why these conversations like can help a lot, like having those conversations and making sure that you're friends with people that you feel like you can have these conversations with. Right. Because like, if you don't feel like you can have that conversation, yeah, you might want to rethink about it. Like, why are you friends with this person? If you don't feel like you can trust them with that, but, um, yeah, just being open with the conversations, then you're not necessarily going to have to be making assumptions or not, you know, not knowing what someone's situation is or have them resent you secretly because I think there was a, actually there was a, a good friends episode about this. If anybody out there still watches reruns of friends, but um, friends raised me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there was a friends episode where like, you know, I think it's a group of six, right. And three of them all had well-paying jobs and three of them didn't. And, you know, the three who did were always suggesting and dictating we should go and do these events. Like, let's go to a nice restaurant. Let's go to a nice concert. Let's go and do this nice thing. And the three who couldn't afford it would show up and, like, you know, eat the salad and just some water to drink because that's all they could afford on the menu. And it, it led to a dialogue. And I remember that really sticking out and being a very powerful um a powerful lesson, right, about becoming an adult. And it doesn't mean, and I don't want to give this intent that we think you should not be friends with people who are big vendors, right? But you really have to be thoughtful about how you're interacting with those people. And if they're not a good, um, I don't know what the word is, but if they're, if they're, if they're going to be challenging you in a way that isn't healthy, then, you know, you've got to draw some boundaries on what that friendship looks like. You know, I have friends that, they're my friends that I will always go and flash out and do that one fancy restaurant with 
but maybe that's just going to be once a year that we do this one big get together versus every Friday night, we're going to meet up for drinks at the nicest, newest place to hang out. Yeah, totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and it's, I mean, it is, it's something that matters when it comes to what you're going to be doing and who you're going to be hanging out with. And I think it's also probably something that comes up a lot when people start to get married or living with someone else, because even that it's like, we come together with such different financial backgrounds. A lot of the time, I'm sure. Um, and that can be a sticking point too, right? I mean, I think like money is like one of the biggest things people fight about, like once they get married, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, is the short answer to that question. <laughs> it's just like such a, I mean, it's, as you said, it's just something that's like everywhere, right? And it's always something we need to be thinking about. What, um, um what about like, or do you have any overall tips that you guys either, you know, either that you guys know or have come up with yourselves from your own background or things that you've talked about with other experts on your show of like, you know, again, knowing it's all very like specific depending on somebody's situation, but are there any kind of like blanket advice or tips that you think that people who either young women who are just kind of trying to like get more set up financially or specifically like people who are like business owners or trying to start a business who, um, you know, it just adds a whole nother level, like layer to it. I think like, are there any kind of general advice that you say, like, these are some of the things you should be thinking about. These are some of the things you should be like doing anything like that. Um, well, especially for business people who are trying to start a business, I think, you know, we've talked throughout this conversation about how talking about money is really important. And one of my favorite episodes that we've actually done with um, a woman named Hanika, um, who actually is coming out with a book this month, um, she she said, you know, you should not be uh, trying to work on the finances of your business if you cannot be doing your own finances. Mm -hmm. So if you have issues with your own money and whether that be spending or talking about it, then that's going to be reflected in your business and it's going to be amplified in your business. So you really need to start by taking care of yourself and your own finances and figuring out what is your relationship with money. I think Hanukkah used the example of like, if I don't feel comfortable talking about money with like myself or my partner, then I'm definitely not going to feel comfortable talking about money with my vendors or my employees. And so I think, you know, everything that we do in our own lives just kind of get amplified when we start doing a business. So if, you know, in one way, you're a complete mess, you're probably going to bring that mess somehow into <laughs> whatever business you're starting. So I would say, the advice that I would, I took from a lot of our experts and from our own experience is make sure you're taking care of yourself first and then take care of your business. Because if you're doing well personally, then you'll be able to bring your best self to leading your business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's, that sounds like good advice. Um, what about when it comes to 
like setting yourself up for your financial future that I feel like is something that I don't know is that harder to talk about than like where we are right now like um I don't know maybe that's a weird question I almost feel like people are more open to share like okay this is like my job this is what I make this is what I have saved um but talking about what we're expecting to do for the future almost feels harder yeah and I think actually I mean you you're definitely tapping into something that we see a lot and it applies to both setting up your own side hustle or your own business and also setting up the business of your life right so when you tap into things like how do I want my future to look you need to know your purpose yeah because that's the only thing that's going to remain constant and individual items within there are going to shift and change right but you need like when you're setting up your business you need to know your purpose because the actual product or the tool or whatever the the thing is that you're offering might shift and change a lot as any good entrepreneur will tell you that does happen you know in a myriad of ways over the life life cycle of setting up a business um and i always love to cite the starbucks example of that right they started out as I think a coffee bean provider, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't start out with this vision of being on every other street corner with a coffee shop and like mocha frappuccinos and all these other things, but they had a mission, right? And so they, they kind of st- stayed true to that. I think that applies in your personal life too. You have to know what your goals are in the sense, like, what do we want to be or what do I want to, what is, what do I want my life to look like? in the end because that helps you stay focused um along the way when you are tempted to maybe go off course or take on a bigger mortgage than maybe you can afford to keep up with some of your friends or expectations of of you out in the world right that actually could set you back in a longer Mm -hmm. longer in another area so knowing your purpose is something that has to be consistent um across both the personal and the professional. And from a retirement perspective, especially, Katie mentioned this earlier, but you need to know what you want retirement to look like. Not right down to like, where am I gonna be buying my groceries? But if you are someone who likes to shop at Whole Foods and not your local shop right or you know, budget-friendly grocery store, then you know your budget for your food is gonna be pretty high and therefore that's gonna be a significant cost that you need to factor in. Um, and you have to know what are the categories in your life that you're willing to compromise on to accommodate the ones that you're not willing to compromise on. And I think to add on to that point, Catherine, because it's so important to have a purpose, but I think it's also important to not expect results immediately. Like so much of the stuff we're doing today has lasting impacts. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. so much research and calculators to say, you know, $5 today versus in retirement is going to be worth X. You know, there's stats that show, you know, in your 20s, some of the decisions that you make have lasting impacts down the line on how much you'll make and all of this stuff. But I think it's so important, you know, just like with a diet, you might, you know, eat a couple salads for a few days, but you're not going to see like results on the scale immediately. The same way, you know, skipping a coffee or like creating a good ha- quote habit for a week is not going to have lasting impact down the line. So I think starting early and giving yourself time to see results, it 
the like the magic of compound interest, right? Like every single thing is going to be worth more in the future. So you just need to be making smart decisions now and let let the magic of all of that stuff work its way out down the line. So you don't have to say, you know, okay, I need to save a million dollars. Well, actually, if you just put away, you know, $10 a week or, you know, $500 a month, like that over time invested will become a million dollars. But I think so, so many people start with that big lofty goal, right? Which is like, okay, I need to be a millionaire in retirement or, okay, I want to make uh, $100,000 this year but they're not breaking it down into, well, what can I do today that will get me there? What is it that I have to do tomorrow to get me there? And I think m making those decisions more present rather than future allows that, like all those little successes will be big success later on. Oh my God, yes, you're speaking my language. I love what you just said. Like, I think that's so true. You gotta think about what it is today and that makes it feel like something you can actually take action on right now. And that it doesn't have to be like this whole big thing. It doesn't have to be literally a million dollars. It can be $500 or $10 a day. Like that makes it sound like so much more like a thing that you can actually be doing right now. <laughs> totally. I actually said that to a friend <laughs> who she was, she was like, I wanna start investing. And, you know, I was helping her, you know, set up her first account and she was saying, okay, like, are you sure, you know, $200 to start per month is like enough. And I was like, if you did that every month for, you can put it in a calculator and figure out that in 40 years, you'll have hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. or a million. And she was like, wait, really? <laughs> and it's like, yes, like I know $200 doesn't sound, you know, like a lot, right now but it is when you really just let it let it grow yeah so your biggest advice yeah. is to just start like immediately like start as early as possible even if you're putting start yesterday or today <laughs> yeah start yesterday i think you know the like compounding interest is a miracle when it's growing it also can be disastrous it's disastrous when it's growing your net worth downward in terms of interest on debt like loans or credit cards or whatever it might be right like ju just like that that compounding concept works in two directions and as katie pointed out you really want it growing so that it's building your net worth and your wealth over time versus working against you in the sense that you know if you talk to people who took out student loans what they end up paying overall at the end is a lot more than what the sticker price was initially because of that interest that's tacked on so yeah, start start yesterday and start small if you have to. And what you just said sparked a question that I know I feel like I see people ask this all the time. Do you guys have any insight? Like when you're when you have debt or you're working on those student loans, but you also know that you need to start investing for the future, like what if but you feel like you can't do both or if you do both it's going to be like well i'm just paying down a tiny bit or only saving a tiny and saving a tiny bit like is there i don't know do you, do you recommend that people pay down debt before saving or i, I get the sense that you probably don't i, I think, think it's depends. so interesting because we just asked this on our 
social media like a couple weeks ago because I wanted to you know see what our audience thought and it was 50 50 Hmm. it was really like half the people said you know getting rid of the debt is the most important and half said investing while or investing first or doing it at the same time is better but um I mean Catherine you you have an amazing debt store uh debt repayment story and I know you were you know setting yourself up for your safety net do you want to talk about that at all yeah so I um woke up at 30 living paycheck to paycheck and I was like exchanging one really expensive city of London for New York um moving with my husband at the time and we and he's still my husband but (laughs) it sounded like he's still in the picture moving at the time and you know we we had been living paycheck to paycheck and we were pregnant and it was a surprise and we weren't necessarily planning or expecting which we're very fortunate that, that it worked out that way but i had forty-two thousand and some change in student loan debt and we realized we we're gonna have this person to take care of and feed and clothe and educate and take care of in general so we realized we need to get on top of the finances and so we prioritized paying off my student loan debt and so I was fortunate in that I was I was in a two income household without a child at this point we could really hammer it out but we did do it aggressively um, I think we we at the time followed similar to like the Dave Ramsey method which was we put a thousand dollars aside for just like an emergency fund and then that was just to cover you with like I don't know your you needed an emergency stay in a hotel or car breakdown or whatever it might be. And then we aggressively paid off the debt and then went back to setting up the um, the emergency fund and building that up to kind of equate to like three to six months worth of living expenses. So, you know, I think it's, when you ask about like which one should you do, it really depends on what kind of debt it is, right? My student loan debt was, it was a lot. It was a lot of money, but it also... Um, it had a more favorable interest rate than, say, a credit card, which could have had, like, you know, 20-something percent interest being charged. If it's, if it's toxic like that and you're going to end up paying 22% more over the original amount that you borrowed, um, you want to really aggressively pay that down. But it's good to keep a buffer. I think Katie and I have done a lot of research on this. The average, so, you know, Dave Ramsey and other uh, retirement experts in a perfect world, tell you three to six months of um, emergency funds. That sounds like a lot of money, especially it's to an individual earner, right? I I mean, it's a lot of money. See, I can't even imagine. I've never had three to six months of living expenses in one right. place. Right. Oh, my chair. Exactly. But then you look you look at the average emergency, and there's been a lot of research on this. The average emergency that like most of Middle America cannot cover is, I think. Four hundred dollars, right? Oh, yeah, or like like three hundred and eighty or something. I've seen numbers like that too. Yeah. So when you break it down, you're like, okay, I'm gonna start small. I'm gonna say here's four hundred dollars of money that I'm gonna look at in my account and never touch. That's my tow truck money, my I don't know, my apartment flooded money, and I need to go and stay at a hotel for a night, whatever it is. Um, just so that you don't have to add to any existing debt that you have. And then maybe build it up to 1000 if you can. And then I would say aggressively pay off the debt as much as you possibly can. 
and as we talked about earlier as well, negotiate those rates, consolidate them. Right now, interest rates are so low. There's opportunities to, to get at least some of those initial um, interest rates down, you know, especially if you've had the loan for quite a while with the same with the same lender. So, you know, you've got to kind of hit it from a few different angles. Um, and you can do it little by little. It just takes time and a method. And you have to pick what yeah. feel for you and your situation. And one of the things that you said a couple minutes ago, too, about just like staying on top of thinking about what are your goals like for retirement and what do you want to what what do, where do you want to be what do you want to make happen and like i kind of what, what i was kind of hearing was like you need to just like stay conscious about that stay consciously thinking about that and revisit that along the way and make sure that you're still making the right choices like do you have any kind of um I mean, is that true? Is that kind of one of the things that you think is an important thing to do? Do you have like a process for like, oh, every, you know, three months, you kind of like, just pull out your, you know, whatever paperwork, or even just like make a list on a piece of paper of like, here's kind of where we are. And here's where we're going. And like, is this still what we want? Like, do you have any kind of process for just making sure you're staying on top of that stuff? And not all of a sudden looking up and being like, oh, two years went by, and I'm still only putting aside like $200 a month, because that was what I felt like I could spare when I first started it, but I haven't like conscious, consciously been thinking about this since then. And maybe I could have gone up or maybe I should have been changing what I was investing in or, or paying off. Yeah. You know, Alessandra, I think that's such a good point. Um, I think that's where almost having an accountability partner is really, really helpful. And you brought up earlier how, you know, you should be talking money with your spouse or your partner. And, um, my partner and I are, you know, in the process of buying our first home, and it has truly been um, an experience that has allowed us to have so many money conversations. Um, but it's something where, you know, as we were thinking about, okay, we want to buy a home, we really had to sit down and say, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable because we're we both are working towards this down payment together, and it was one of those things where you know, COVID happened and, you know, we were able to save a lot. But even before then, I would, you know, say, okay, like, I really wanted to go on vacation. But do we want to go on like a really luxurious bougie vacation? Or would we rather go on a weekend getaway and put the rest of that money towards our mm -hmm. goal of a down payment on this house? And I feel like having sort of like a monthly check in with each other to be like, do we really want to spend on that new bag or do we really need a car or should we wait till we have that down payment? Like some of those conversations and holding each other accountable has been really, really helpful. And especially when you start balancing more than one goal at a time. So we happen to also be getting married. So a lot of these conversations have all been overlapping and it becomes so much easier when you have each other on the same page. So you know, planning a wedding, trying to buy a house, and also, you know, saving for retirement, being able to say, okay, well, we probably shouldn't spend over this amount on a house, because we still want to be able to put some of our money towards here. And like, I think having somebody that you can talk to, to sort of align yourself with whatever your values or your goals are is so helpful, especially when it's so easy to add to cart and be like, oh, I really want this right now, but 
I need someone to be like, ooh, but do you want it more than that thing that you're working for or towards later on? Yes, totally. I think um, that's, well, that kind of brings up a couple other questions. Um, personally, like when, so me and my husband did the same thing. We were buying, we bought a house and, um, and it was at the very beginning, like kind of towards the beginning stages of my business. I had the business for maybe like a year by that point. So it was like still very much like, you know, tiny and in growth stage and not feeling like I was making a lot of money. And we also ended up, um, getting this piece of land basically that his mother had, um, he's from the Caribbean. So we ended up basically with this piece of land that we needed to build a house on or that we could build a house on. And, so we've ended up having like a lot of kind of things going on at once and definitely we're the same. And then of course, on top of that, as a business owner, I didn't have like any kind of retirement, um, you know, benefits or anything like that set up in any way. So I had to do that myself if I was going to. Um, and so, I mean, that resonates with me in terms of having every money fight you could possibly have right at the beginning of our relationship. <laughs> that definitely happened. Um, but we definitely learned a lot. And it's definitely been also one of those things where I feel like we've just always been because the process of building that house took a very long time because we were really just kind of putting money into it whenever we could. Um, and it wasn't like we wanted to take out a loan for that or anything. So we just basically literally every month would like do a piece of it. And like, you know, when there was something big, obviously you had to save up for a little while and then put it towards there, but it never felt like we were building up like any kind of emergency fund here or any, you know, putting anything aside for retirement. But, um, he was very much like, well, this is our retirement. Like we're, cause, cause the idea was to rent out the house, which thankfully and luckily has, is now happening and is amazing. But, um, what about, I guess, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is very different. Uh, so, so one's on one side of things, we've been very good accountability partners in terms of like, you don't need that. Like, and just like, I feel like for the last like eight years, we're just like, yep, yeah, we don't need any of this stuff because what we really want is to get like the nicer, whatever it is for the house, you know, the nicer faucets, or we're going to really want to get like the nicer couch. So we've always been like really stingy with everything at home, I think because of that. Um, but also on the other side of that, having very different ideas of what we might need later on in life when it comes to retirement and what those savings should look like and what those plans should look like when we get old, because he's very much like, well, the house is our retirement because we'll just be renting that out until we die. Basically, <laughs> like there will be <laughs> recurring income there every month. So we don't necessarily need to be putting money into a retirement account that we can then take from when we get old. And I'm kind of a little more like conservative in terms of like, well, but like, what if nobody rents it for a while, you know, like I want to have something else just in case. Um, and so I wanted to be contributing to those things all along. Whereas he, I mean, he wasn't saying we should never do that. And like, we do both have accounts, but, um, he was more like, well, let's focus on this for now. Right. Let's do like this push for another couple of years. And then when that's done, we can then be putting more money into those accounts. But all of that to say as a long winded way of saying, like, I guess what if what if your views or um, hopes for the future kind of differ from those of your partner in terms of what you need and you don't necessarily have that um, 
you know, the, the ability to sit down and be like, okay, this is our plan for the future. And you kind of have to save some of that on your own, I guess, like in terms of saving with a partner or coming up to those, the, figuring out what those um, priorities are going to be when they might be different. Like, do you guys recommend that women um, or really anyone kind of just sets up some of that stuff on their own, even if there's no like consensus with that? Or is that anything that you've ever run into or had other people say before? Oh, we love talking about monies and couples. We have a lot of experts that we come on and ask all these questions to. And one of our favorites was um, we had Meredith Goldstein come on. Um, she is the author of the Boston Love Letters column. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were like, we asked her pretty much this question. And she, she jokingly said, but we totally took seriously you know, you should be, you know, going out on dates and asking people like what they like brand name or generic, find out what mm. they like to spend money on and what they don't. Mm. And if they're similar to you, then you have similar values. But I think like she joked that she was like, I will always and forever spend money on really nice soft toilet paper <laughs> and if my partner wanted the really crappy generic toilet paper like that would be a problem <laughs> and so that obviously can get exasperated out to oh I want a mansion in New York City or I want a shack in you know Texas and that could be your values could just be so, so not aligned. So I think, you know, we talk about having money dates and the financial gym with Shannon McClay all the time talks about getting financially naked with your partner. And I don't think that necessarily means, oh, I have, you know, I make, well, you should share your salary, but I'm trying to think of an example where it's like, you don't necessarily need to have a money date where you talk just numbers. Sometimes what you're talking about is those goals, which is, hey, is your goal to have that Cape house with a boat? And my goal is to have a lake or like a cabin in the woods in Vermont. Like those are things where you need to start figuring that out. And unfortunately, we do see a lot like couples not having those conversations until it's way too far down the line. I think, Catherine, you might know it better, but we interviewed a divorce lawyer who said, was it 60% of couples don't talk about money before they're married? Wow. So how are you supposed to know what your goals are and what that marriage is going to look like if you haven't talked to that person? So Wow, that's really it's crazy if you aren't having those conversations about, hey, what do you want this life to look like? What do you value? What are you going to be spending money on? That's really what you're asking. Catherine, would you add anything there? Yeah, I would. And I have a lot of background noise, so I'm sorry. Um, but I would also add that, you know, another staggering stat is something like 50% of marriages end in divorce. And the number one reason cited when you rank them is not actually infidelity, which everybody thinks, it's money. Hmm. So there's a cost to not talking about it. So um, Katie and I talk about this a lot. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh, it's better to have the uncomfortable conversation now with your partner than to pay for a really costly and 
difficult divorce later if uh, if you haven't really aligned. And it's not going to be easy, and you're not going to agree on everything, and it's going to be an ongoing dialogue. But the more lined up you can get now, the better. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's so true. Like, as we have already said, I feel like so many times, like money just touches everything. Like it's going to affect everything in your life, especially when it comes to like things that you might be doing with a partner. Like it's going to matter, you know, when it comes to things like where you're grocery shopping or what you're buying to things like where your kid is going to go to school. And of course, like the things like, what are you going to do once you're retired or where are you going to live? Like if you move, I, I mean, I can't even believe that that num- those numbers are so they are staggering. Like six, that 60% of people or whatever, don't even talk about it before they get married. I feel I, we ended up by, we bought our house before we even got married. So luckily we had those money fights before we even went into it, but that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I think that that's, it seems like, and, and the other thing I was going to say, like when you were um, mentioning like how goals, like what those goals are, like, do you want to have a, a house in Vermont or whatever, or like on the lake or whatever you said, or Texas, I don't know, um, is also that goals and, and ideas like th- those things change too. So kind of, as we were touching on before, like of just visiting your, um, revisiting your goals or whatever, every once in a while, it's also having that conversation with your partner once in a while, because their thoughts on what you were working towards might change or their needs or desires might change. And I feel like that's one of the trickiest parts too, is making sure that your, your goals change together <laughs> if they do change, because, because our, our needs and our wants do change over time. And so to keep those aligned seems like one of the hardest, but most important parts too. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the beauties of this, right? Is that you can be flexible once you have, um, sort of, uh, let me rephrase this. You have options and flexibility when you have financial freedom. So, you know, when you're saying to your partner, you're, you know, working towards a goal, let's say that goal originally was to have a down payment on a house. If your plans change, you now have this pile of money that is flexible to change with those goals. So I think that's something that Catherine and I talk about a lot, especially if you're if you're able to live below your means. A lot of people say, you know, live live within your means. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you live below your means, you have a lot of financial flexibility to change your goals and change your life as, you know, life gets kind of tricky. I mean, as we saw during this pandemic, like life can throw you a hard right and you you know, if you have financial flexibility and you have uh, some money to make you feel secure, you can shift in whatever way you'd like. Um, and I think that is some a, a true freedom that it's a freedom of being stress-free and like guilt-free in shifting those. So obviously you need to be able to talk to your partner if your circumstances change, but being able to shift is... Um, something that's really freeing about having wealth. I know, you know, when I decided to go to grad school, that wasn't necessarily like part of my original plan. And, you know, I, you know, was having this conversation with my partner and I was saying, you know, hey, um, I'm thinking about going back to school. Uh, That's definitely going to take away from some of our, you know, house saving money. 
but I think it's going to pay off in the long run. And I think I will still be able to do both. Um, it might just, you know, put off getting a house for an extra year or two. And, you know, we were able to obviously find a way to make that work. And part of that was like, okay, well, if now that's another goal that we need to mix into the into the works, let's figure out how to do that. And, you know, I can go and ask my employer and negotiate um, some payment from them, or I can, you know, negotiate a higher salary. But I think when you have someone to talk to about, you know, how your goals might be changing, or if you have some financial flexibility, you feel much more secure changing or shifting some of those goals and finding a way to change your money management. And that's why I think you brought up earlier, like, does it make sense to have like a quarterly or annual meeting or like sit down and look at your money? I think you should be sitting down monthly really and saying, okay, have my goals changed? Okay. Like are, do we need to start moving things around? Do I, are, am I now ready to put more towards retirement? Okay, am I putting more towards debt? Am I really close and just want to get this over with? Like, those are the kind of things that you can do once a month, sit down, look at where your money is going, and make some decisions based on that. But of course, it you have to know where your money is going to start before you can start shifting things. You can't just constantly be adding, adding to the budget without knowing where the money is going to start. Knowing that anything that has to do with money or any of this stuff is so situation dependent and depends on the person and what your goals are. But I just feel like I have to touch on like investing one more time before we, before I let you go. Yes, it's an important one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so important. And it's one of those things that feels like one of the hardest things or just like most complicated. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know if I'm doing it the best way it can be. Right. Cause we won't know until we're like 60 years old. Like, Oh, did this end up being enough money to retire on? I don't know. <laughs> but like, so is there anything, any kind of like, again, sort of like a simple rule that you tell people or like any, like any advice of like, this is what you should try to do. Like if you're not like, and I know we said like, start with $200 a month, but like where would you even put that money? Like, do you think, is it like a 401k? Is there a certain kind of account that you recommend that people start? Like, is there any kind of like, kind of almost blanket tip of, of how to get started with investing if you haven't yet? Yeah. I mean, so we've already said, you know, if, when it comes to investing, start yesterday. So time is your friend, obviously with investing because of, um, this thing called compound interest. So the earlier, the better. But as far as knowing what to put your money into, it it really does come down to what you're able to do. So like we said, you know, personal finance is going to be unique to each person. But I think something that is really hard, especially for women, because we are plagued with this perfectionism of wanting to do everything the right way. And I think what Catherine and I love to tell people is, you know, you're not going to, you have time to make, let's say a mistake, but you don't have to know 100% about investing. You don't need to know and be able to teach an investing class in order to do it. Mm -hmm. You just need to do it. And I know that sounds so backwards, but like figure out what your 401k, you know, retirement options are through your employer. If you have one, put your money in it and invest it in an index fund, just get started. And then if you decide, you know, five or 10 years down the line, okay, I want to move it, you can move it and that's fine. Yeah. And you can change it as you go. Um, but 
getting the money into something is better than nothing. I actually, you know, at 25 years old or 24, somewhere around there, um, someone finally convinced me that I need to be investing. And I kept saying, you know, I don't know enough about it. I don't know what an ETF is. I don't know what a mutual fund is. And so they actually set me up with a robo-advisor, which is literally a robot that takes money out of your paycheck and invests it um, in some, you know, specific formula that they each have. But at least it was doing it. And I thought that was the best way for me to start just because I knew it was it was doing the right thing. It was going into the market. And if later on down the road, I figure out I need to put it somewhere else, then I can put it somewhere else. But I think, honestly, as long as you put something in the market, in like an index fund, in a retirement fund, you can't go wrong. So I think going back to what we've said, timing is of the essence. So don't wait until you've made a mistake don't wait until you feel like it's you're in the perfect state of mind uh, to finally do it. I, you know, I've <laughs> I had a friend who said to me, you know, I finally saved up enough to invest, hmm. and I was like, please tell me what that means because I'm really worried. <laughs> and she was like, well, I I saved up a lot of money, so now I feel like I'm ready to invest. And I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier. You don't need a lot of money to invest. Right. You can invest $100, $50, $200. So long as it's getting in there, now your money is working for you. I love it. That's such a good that's such a good way to end. Um I was just going to say that's that was I was going to ask if you have any specific resources. Do you guys have anything on, I mean obviously your podcast is probably the first place people should start with listening and is there any do you have like Maybe you can email you can email me over some any thoughts of like where you found that robo thing even that we could put in the show notes later for if anybody else is like well maybe I need that in order to get absolutely started. yeah I mean I, something that you know we want to be is a sort of source of resources so mm-hmm. I, we're happy to share you know our podcast we interview experts all the time in all different aspects of personal finance um, and we offer all of their information as resources. Um, I'm happy to send over some robo-advisor information. Um, We also do a 411k book club where we give away a financial um, tool, usually in the form of a book written by a female author, um, offering personal finance advice, investing advice, budgeting advice. Um, And we really try and promote um, all the different financial resources. It could be a podcast, it can be a book, it can be a course. Um, that it could literally just be meeting with an advisor. Um, but there's so many super helpful tools out there to make sure that you're taking care of your financial well-being. I love that. So just, okay, tell me really quick, how do I sign up for the book club? Like how does somebody get involved in that if they wanted to join for like next month or whatever? Absolutely. So you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore 411k. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, and we share our monthly pick at the start of every month. And we typically also interview the author that month. So you'll get both a podcast episode to get to know the author and the story behind the book. And then you have a chance to win the book as well. Oh, that's so cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I mean, I guess that you just kind of said all the places. Is there any, any, um, where else people should find you or, and, or connect with you, or is, you kind of just mentioned that all in, in relation to the book club? Well, Absolutely. And, and on Apple on iTunes podcast right, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So our website, the401k.com is a useful resource. And if you ever want us to come in and talk with your professional women's network or online at a university, we are happy to do in-person live events where we talk about a specific topic of your choice. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was so helpful, I think. And if nothing else, if it gets people to listen to your podcast or to just have this conversation with a friend, I think that's so, so great. So thank you for coming on and being so open with us. Thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes. So other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.